0: You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website pvcc.org.au Good morning. So uh, wonderful uh, to be back again uh, to share God's word um, with you in uh, this uh, wonderful house of God. And this morning we are doing our series, uh, Proclaiming the Kingdom of God from uh, Luke chapter 9. Before we do that, let's uh, ask the Lord to lead us in prayer. Father Lord, as we have sung, let us bring our lives together as an offering to you this morning, as an expression of our worship to you. Father Lord, as we listen to your word, open our ears to your teaching, our eyes to your truth, and our hearts to your leading. We pray, dear Lord, that the Holy Spirit will inspire us, indwell us, and inform us through your word this morning, that your ways, your will, your wisdom may be made known to us and through us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'd like to take you back to this picture. <laughs> I think uh, many of us will still remember this. Well, this comes from the first Star Wars movie, and it's 1977, 45 years ago. It's been a long time, isn't it? Uh, It was a real hit, a real blockbuster of a movie. I remember this because uh, I was a student then uh, when I went uh, to see it, and I was really fascinated and entertained by this action-packed movie. And the opening music, which was really memorable. Uh, the special effects and the sound was really fantastic and spell-binding. Spell I mean. <laughs> and the uh, audience were gripped uh, in their seats in thrill and excitement because that's the first time they saw this in such a uh, magnificent uh, sort of um, theater. And everyone t- who wanted to see this movie wants to. Find out more and more of the story. And we see the villain of the story, which is the dark person. You see, his name is called Darth Vader. The black cape, uh, he's uh, robotic, he's evil, he's powerful, uh, and he possesses really great influence and power. And he enforces um, the evil empire. And then on the other hand, we see the the goodies. (laughs) represented by Luke Skywalker and uh, Princess Leia and Han Solo. And of course, there's the Jedi who is um, uh, the mysterious bunch who is trying to restore the balance of the Force. So the theme is actually good versus bad. The Empire, the evil empire was trying to dominate the universe, and the good guys and the Jedi were trying to restore uh, the good force to try to use the force to stop the empire and I think what made this movie very engrossing and fascinating is because we are all kept in suspense who each of the characters were. I remember seeing the movie several times to figure out who is who and who is um, you know, Luke Skywalker, who is Darth Vader, who is Princess Lear. And what's the story behind this person called Darth Vader? And each movie that came out, one after another, actually uh, keeps the audience guessing and enthralled. And you just can't wait to go and see the next one. And we know how many more Star Wars movies came and the franchise just rose on. Many books, uh, many toys, games, etc. that made... Mr. George Lucas, a very rich man indeed. George Lucas was the creator of Star Wars. And this morning, we want to see that the disciples were also asking the same questions about Jesus. The disciples were guessing and asking themselves, Now, who is Jesus? As we look at our um, passage this morning, I would like to cover the three points this morning, the man, the mission, and, the, and his method. Now a bit of the background, Jesus had been with the disciples for a number of years. Uh, last week we saw that the disciples were sent out to all the villages to proclaim uh, the good news with the authority of Jesus to heal the sick and also to cast out demons. And for them, each day was a new and exciting experience. Of course, just like our moviegoers watching Star Wars, they themselves were asking the question of the man they were following. Who is Jesus? In Luke chapter 8, verse 25, it says, Who then is this person when they saw him uh, calm the storm, that even winds and water obey him? they've seen jesus do many miracles they've seen him heal the sick sick raise the dead you know calm the storm cast out demons and even fed five thousand people or five thousand men but they did not have to wait long because jesus is going to stop them guessing in verse 18 jesus before he did this he prayed to the father in private and we know that jesus always seek to know his Father's will before he goes and make any major decision or before he enters a new uh, significant uh, event in his ministry. It is after this praying that he asks in verse 18 this question. He asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? And the disciples answered, John the Baptist, others say it's Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of all that had been risen. So here we get an idea of what other people were thinking about Jesus. They were thinking Jesus as the incarnation or the embodiment of a prophet like John the Baptist, or even Elijah, or some uh, gospel even mentions uh, Jeremiah as the prophet. And it is important for us to understand how they came to this conclusion. Well, we see that John the Baptist was a very fiery preacher of repentance. And, but at this time, of course, he's been beheaded by King Herod, uh, and he's dead. And perhaps, uh, they, uh, when they saw uh, Jesus, it reminded them of John's fiery preaching, um, Uh, Or Elijah, the Old Testament prophet who resisted the idolatry uh, of the nation under King Ahab. Um, And he he actually did. Elijah did many miracles, challenging the religious leaders, stopping the rain for three and a half years, raising the dead, multiplying the widow's um, flour and oil, and raising her son. And it strangely resembles Jesus' ministry of healing the sick, calming the storm, raising the dead and feeding 5,000. And even Jeremiah, the weeping prophet whose tender heart was crying out to a nation to come back to God. So you can see that in Jesus as well, crying out for the justice and truth of God. But one thing is very clear. You can never make a decision about Christ based on the opinion of others. That is a really important question. The important question uh, is really the second question that Jesus asked. What do you say I am? What do you say I am? Never mind what others think of Jesus, but who do you say I am? Jesus is interested in what the disciples themselves think of who he is. And of course Peter answered, the Christ of God, in uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 16, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. A bit longer version, but really his confession is very significant because it is not influenced by what others say, but what Jesus, uh, what Peter's confession uh, was, it came from his own uh, very conviction about who Jesus is. And what uh, Peter is really saying is that Christ is the Son of God, he is the promised Messiah, and he is the anointed one, the one that God is going to uh, bring, raise up um, for the deliverance of the people of israel so out of the conviction of his heart peter revealed that jesus is the messiah he's not only saying that he's only the messiah but he's also saying that he is the son of god he's also the divine savior and of course we we uh, read uh, in another uh, gospel uh, the response of jesus after he Uh, heard Peter's confession. And this is what Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, but Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This revelation is not the result of Peter's own uh, thinking or his own investigation. It was because of a deep revelation given to him by God in heaven. And it is the gracious act of God. But in verse 21, Jesus says, Yes, now that you know that I am the Messiah, but you have to keep it secret. It's not time yet. And although Peter and the disciples had been given the greatest revelation on earth, that the Messiah has come, he is with them, Jesus didn't want his identity to be revealed to the crowds around because it wasn't the proper time. The crowds would not understand what Jesus' mission was before the disciples had understood what it is. So the important thing is that the disciples themselves need to understand what Jesus' mission was. Now, what was his mission? That's the second point. His mission, uh, this is what um, the William Barclay said, before they could preach, that jesus was the messiah they had to learn what that meant and jesus mission was the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised now that's really an anticlimax for the disciples. <clears throat> one moment they were rejoicing that they are now with the Messiah, and now they realize his mission is completely 180 degrees opposite to what he, uh, what they expected. Um, how can the Anointed One suffer and die? How can the divine, you know, Messiah die? the Messiah is supposed to come and save Israel and bring justice and peace and freedom. Isn't that what uh, uh, Isaiah, um, sorry, isn't that what Isaiah chapter um, 9 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So in verse um, 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 7, of um, Isaiah 9, we read that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end of the throne of David and over his kingdom um, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So there is no... Did you notice that uh, there is this um, uh, important thing called must? He must. There is the certainty and the finality about it. You see, there is no other way uh, about this. And the reality is that Jesus is coming this time not as the glorious Messiah to establish the kingdom forever, the throne of David forever, but he is the suffering Messiah. This holy and sinless Son of God must suffer and be rejected to give up his life so that all mankind would be saved. And of course, we, we, we understand uh, that as a result of this, um, we get this natural response from Peter. Peter said, no, this can't be. You know, because uh, uh, you know he said, uh, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. In Matthew 16. And then what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And Peter's rebuke, Uh, of Jesus tells us how easy it is for us uh, to think that we know more about God's will than God himself. Uh, Have you ever prayed to God about his will for your life and then asked him to bless your plans? And this is really uh, sometimes how we pray. We pray, dear God, please help me to be successful in this or that uh, enterprise. And if you give me uh, that success, I will be able to give more to church or to the building fund. Oh, dear God, please help me to find the right partner in my life. Uh, Please open the eyes of Mr. or Ms. so-and-so so that they will be attracted to me. Or help me to get this job so that I can use my position to serve you more. And yes, I think I have been there myself praying these prayers. Putting myself um, in the position of deciding what God should do regarding my own plans. Rather than listening to Him and following His will. And I think the challenge for us is to be brought back to letting God work His will in our lives, to be patient, to put our human thinking aside, and to be able to uh, listen to His Holy Spirit to reveal His purpose in us. So Jesus reveals His mission as a suffering Messiah, and it's uh, not an easy uh, mission. Uh, for him but you know what in that sentence the last part is what he must he must suffer he must be rejected he must be killed the last part is that he must be raised in three days and that's the last part that they've forgotten that in the mix of his mission statement there is the suffering Messiah, as well as the glorious Messiah. And of course, uh, we remember this uh, from Isaiah. This is the way of Jesus at this point in time. He is going to, um, as as we read, surely he has borne our griefs from Isaiah 53 and carried our sorrows that we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And then he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we were healed. Um, And then, of course, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. And uh, Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, sums this up very clearly for us. He says this, God undertook the most dramatic rescue operation in cosmic history. He determined to save the human race from self-destruction and sent his son Jesus Christ to salvage and redeem them. The work of man's redemption was accomplished at the cross. Now, Jesus' mission statement in verse uh, 22, reveals to the disciples that he has come as a suffering Messiah. But they have to wait before he becomes the glorious Messiah. And moving to my third point, his method. How does one follow Jesus? And this is his method. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. This method of discipleship is very costly. Denying yourself, what does it mean? Denying yourself means to stop living for yourself and start living a life in obedience to Jesus. What Jesus is really saying is that you are no longer in the driver's seat. You have to let him take over driving, controlling your life. And we have a natural tendency to look for a life of comfort and security. And to deny these pursuits in our life, it can be very, very difficult. Uh, Self-denial involves putting God first. And so doing, sometimes we feel it is very, very costly for us. But Jesus wants all of our hearts, just not part of it. And the path of self-denial actually allows, in fact, when you yield your life to Jesus, actually it allows the believer to experience what is the truest meaning of living a life in God's will. Many of us miss that. Secondly, it also involves taking up our cross daily. And what does taking up the cross mean? Uh, some of us today think, oh, you know, it's maybe wearing the cross around your, your neck or maybe having a cross on you know, your, your wrist. or Some even maybe have a, a tattoo of the cross. <laughs> uh, so, but it's not what that means because in Jesus' time, the cross means the way to death. In the Roman world, the cross is a symbol of torture, humiliation and death. When a man died on a cross in, 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 in the Roman days, the, he has to carry his cross. as you remember, Jesus carrying his cross. So that's, that, that is the way that they crucified the criminal. They just don't just hang them on the cross. First, they have to carry the cross, on the way to execution. And carrying the cross is always the way of death. So taking our cross daily means as Jesus followers, it will be a difficult road ahead. Why? Because there is hostility from the world and there will be uh, much um, difficulties when the people uh, around us resist the gospel. Uh, It means that uh, believers must face uh, this uh, hardship and be willing to accept it. And um, uh, when you do that, uh, Jesus is saying, you will be able to realize what is the true meaning of following him. Moving on, um, I'm just uh, this okay. So when we look at Jesus' mission statement to a non-Christian, deny yourself, take up your cross, following Jesus, is contrary to uh, the way that we seek in life, right? We want happiness, we want enjoyment, we want satisfaction, uh, fulfillment in life. Yet, how can following Christ be that attractive? And most people recoil from that. If that's the case, why why would any normal person want to follow Christ? You have to deny yourself, you have to take up your cross to follow Him. But Jesus doesn't leave us without a logical reason. And that comes from the following verses. In verse 24 to 26, He gives us why it is logical to follow Him. It is logical. Because of this, following Jesus only makes sense when you have eternity in mind. Following Jesus only makes sense when you have eternity in mind. In verse 24 to 26, each of the verses starts with the word for. For means because. Basically, he gives us three reasons why it is logical to follow him. The first reason is that losing your life for Christ is gain. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, how is losing your life for Christ becomes gain or benefit for us? Well, this is only of importance if there is more to life on earth. Jesus compares our life on earth with life that He offers to all who believe in Him. Jesus is saying that instead of trying so hard to cling to your life in this world, you are better off trying to live for Jesus who will give you life here as well as beyond this world, a life that is everlasting. So it's not a loss, it's actually a gain. Do you know this person? He gives this coat. He is no fool who gives what he cannot hope, to keep, he, what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. His name is Jim Elliot. Some of you may have read his biography. He was a missionary to the Oca Indians in Ecuador. On January 8, 1956, Jim Elliot and four other uh, missionaries flew to a river bank to meet some Indians to try to bring them the gospel. But the Indians attacked them, and they were speared to death, all five of them. Jim Elliot was 29. He left behind a wife and a daughter, a very, very young daughter. To the world, it is a tragedy. Five young lives, all lost. Jim Elliot's words, he is no fool who keeps who gives, he gives up his life, what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose, really tells us that he experienced what is service to Christ all about. He gave his life uh, for Christ. But the story doesn't end there, because Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and their daughter, Valerie, went back to the Indians. and. As a result of their faith, such a great um, uh, 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 revival came upon the Indians that even the killer of um, Jim Elliot came to Christ. There is a movie actually uh, called the, the End of the Spear that's just uh, been released a few years ago. So if you haven't watched it, that's one that you should um, uh, try and, 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 and find and then uh, watch it uh, with the church perhaps. Um, Second reason Jesus gives in verse 25, your person or your soul is precious and eternal. Verse 25, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What good is it if you have all the good things in this world and lose your soul or your very self? And Scholars some, sometimes uh, in the Bible read soul instead of uh, yourself. Uh, but the soul is actually the, the very uh, uh, the depths of a person. Uh, it's your intellectual, emotional uh, part of our being, uh, how we think, how we feel, how we act, and how we desire things which make us uh, a person the bible tells us that we are body soul and spirit and our body dies and decays but our soul and spirit continues to live on Uh, so jesus compares our souls our very self with the riches of the world what he really uh, is saying is that it's really foolish to give up your eternal soul for earthly riches, which is only for such a short while. They are going to fade away. How can you compare with this? What does it profit you? It is really foolishness, he's saying. And there's a third reason. The third reason is that Christ will come again in his glory. Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The third reason is that there will come a time when Jesus will return not as the suffering Messiah, he will be the glorious Messiah. He will return in his glory and when he comes, there will be those who have acknowledged him and those who have been ashamed of him. And when he comes, whoever is ashamed of him, he will also be ashamed of them. And what does he mean by that? Again, the reason only makes sense when we look at this from the standpoint of eternity. So what Jesus is saying is that there will be a day where each person will have to give account of what he has done on this earth to God. And we Christians, we we call that the second coming of Christ. It is also a day of judgment when God calls everyone to give account of what they have done. So what Jesus really is saying is on that day when he comes with his angels, Those who have been standing strong, who have not been ashamed of him, they are the ones that Jesus will exalt and affirm. However, those who have been ashamed of him in this life will be condemned and be rejected by him. He is ashamed to acknowledge them. So Jesus gives us the confidence that there will be a future glory that will be revealed when he comes again so don't be ashamed of proclaiming him as the Christ and continue to be faithful in serving him and then of course there is uh, this uh, very cryptic verse which I would like to very co- uh, very quickly cover before I finish verse 21 the kingdom of, uh, I, but I tell you truly, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Interesting. What does that mean? Many people have been puzzled by this. Um, and it's all, always been uh, uh, quite a, uh, controversial and people have been debating, scholars have been de- debating. And uh, there are many views. Just to uh, ensure that if you have a view, it's probably you know one of those uh, widely uh, uh, views that have been held by many, and uh, you know it caused many to think that oh huh, this may be uh, because uh, Jesus said this because some of the disciples will not actually die, <laughs> but we know that everyone, every one of the disciples actually uh, eventually died. So what does this mean? And once again, the key is actually remember that it is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God as proclaimed by Jesus. The kingdom has come and Jesus said this when he meant that the kingdom is being revealed, but it's not fully revealed because at this time, Jesus was still alive. He hasn't suffered. He hasn't been rejected, he hasn't died, he hasn't rose from the dead, he hasn't ascended to heaven. So when you put this together, you begin to think, saying that, okay, this would probably relate, number one, to the time of Jesus' resurrection, or the day of Pentecost. And some even think that, oh, this could be the transfiguration, when they actually saw Jesus' full glory, when he was transfigured uh, 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 before the three uh, uh, closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. Uh, So, when we see those reasons that Christ has given us, we know that Jesus has been fulfilling this. He has fulfilled it to the point that he he has proven that he is the Son of God when he rose from the dead. But there will be a day when he will come again, when the last part will be fulfilled. And those who have believed in the kingdom of God will not experience eternal death, but will have life. So when you look at that, it it does make good sense. It does make good sense. I've got uh, three minutes, I'll close. This is rather long for some of you. (laughs) but this is really, when you look at these verses, it's a gospel in a nutshell. The gospel in a nutshell. In fact, when you look at the man, his mission, and his method through these verses in Luke 9, it actually raises three fundamental questions in our life. The three questions relate to who is Jesus? Now, every one of us will have to make that decision when you come into contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not what others think, but it's what you think. It's what you think. And when we take the first step, and Jesus always gives us, takes us to the next step. He reveals himself to us. It takes us deeper as we trust him and as we find him... uh, 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 leading us so the ultimate question to every person to start off in every place in every age to every person in the world what do you say I am who is Jesus second question is what is Jesus mission and seeing his life his death his resurrection he came to die for the sins of the world to pay the penalty for our sins And he demonstrated that he was actually the Son of God by uh, by rising from the dead after three days. So Jesus is saying, this is my mission. My mission is to die for you. But there will be another mission. I will be coming to judge the world in the future. The next one is, obviously, uh, how will you live your life? His method is self-denial taking up your cross, following him. So the question is, are you willing to forego the pleasures of this world to gain eternal riches in heaven? And the Bible clearly tells us that there is clearly more than what it is in this earthly life. There is a life that you can have living with God in eternity and with Christ, but there's also the other part that is the eternal separation from god for those who reject him when christ returns and we have to give everyone an account of how we live in this world when christ comes again now these three questions actually will determine our eternal destiny so how will we respond An eternal relationship with an everlasting God begins with our sins being forgiven. A new life uh, begins with having a a renewed purpose of serving the Almighty God here on earth as well as for eternity. And as we um, preach His good news, as we proclaim His good news, uh, His Holy Spirit will give us the strength and the power to do it. And uh, John Stott actually sums this up very clearly. Our Christian life began not with our decision to follow Christ. It's not our decision to follow Christ, but with God's call for us to do so. So God has actually made a call to all of us. Will you consider the three important questions Who is Jesus? What is his mission? How will you live your life? So the important question is, will you make the right decision to follow Christ? Let us pray. Our Father, Lord, we realise that you have given us your word to lead us to Bring us a greater understanding of your greater work and what you have given us beyond this world. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. We thank you for giving us our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ for his divine mission and how we are to follow him. We pray that you will continue to fill us and empower us with your Holy Spirit. Give us grateful and willing hearts, eager to serve you, and always ready to share the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.